You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing. I'm so excited to be here tonight as we, well, at at least at this point, we're going to wrap up kind of our monster theme that we've had going on. It's been so much fun. And Christy, I'm so excited that, well, I, I mean, we are going to come back to talk about this, well, I mean, the title of the movie, Godzilla king of the monsters or my alternate title is king Ghidorah, alternate king of the monsters (laughs) 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 first runner up oh first runner up Hmm. yeah every you know yeah i i live by the ricky bobby rules if you ain't first you're last (laughs) so you're either king or you ain't so uh and we're excited to have back with us uh titan uh kaiju whatever you want to call it expert brandy i'm so happy to be here and uh you know if the first king of the monsters cannot fulfill their duties within the time period that they've been appointed the runner-up will take over yes (laughs) sounds like the world's ugliest beauty pageant that's what i was going for like yeah, none of these monsters are are good looking. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, no, I, I think I Mothra's I mean, really pretty. Uh, she is pretty. Um, maybe maybe that's just because she's the one and only like female in this group. You know, so yeah. But she looks. I mean, those colors. Yeah, beautiful. So, well, we're excited to to talk about this movie. It uh, you know, had a monster opening pun intended, <laughs> at the box office. And uh, you'll, we'll probably have a lot of big puns in this, you know, Titan-sized puns, <laughs> I would say, uh, in this episode. Uh, but before we get to talking about the film... Just a quick reminder, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, in fact, obviously, uh, if you were paying attention, Apple just announced they are going to be launching a brand new setup for your Mac. You're going to be able to have music and podcasts and TV split apart so you will have a, a, a fully functioning podcast app coming to your computers as well as your iPhone devices. So you'll have all that in the same place. But right now you can find us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Give us a star rating review. Help people find the show. Give us that review and we'll read your review out on the show. Let other people know what you thought. But you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. So if you're not an Apple user, we're everywhere else. Any podcatcher, just search the 602 Club and make us part of your feed. Give us a you know, subscribe. That way, every time we drop a new episode, you get it as soon as it's released. You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Maybe you would like to discuss all of these different things that we talk about here on Trek FM. So much discussion happens. Be a part of that group, our listeners only discussion group, which is the Babel Conference. You can find that on Facebook by typing Babel into that search field. Or if you go to our website at trek.fm, hit discussion on any of the show page menu bars, and that will lead you into the group as well. And then last but not least, maybe, you know, you love sending emails and the best way to do that, we love getting emails. So go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and then that email comes to Christy and I. So I was trying to figure out, like, how to talk about this. And I felt like we should just kind of jump right into the movie because one of the things about this movie that kind of, I I would say maybe threw me off guard right away was this plan that we have in the film. So um, one of the main characters, Vera Fariga, her character, Dr. Emma Russell has a plan to return control of the planet to Godzilla and his kind, also known in this film as Titans, which 
by unleashing this plan will undoubtedly and most likely kill billions of people. And the reason was is because humankind is really the infection that needs to be cured. I don't know. I you know maybe the earth has a a, a fever whose only prescription is more monster bell. Um you know uh but the plan Christy I I forgive me I doesn't this sound exactly like Drax's plan in um Moonraker? Yeah. It's the same plan basically. I'm going to wipe the earth and I'm going to start all over. Yeah. With people that I choose or or monsters rather. Yeah, it it felt really um frustrating because on the one hand you're understanding what she's saying as far as all of these titans are so much larger than life literally that how could we possibly win against them but her idea of thinking that everything will be fine if we just let the monsters fight it out and hope that godzilla is going to even the playing field is not necessarily the best plan either because they could still destroy the entire planet in the process so just hope to god it turns out okay is what you're saying. <laughs> or Godzilla at this point. Or nuke point. them all and crush your fingers and see if that doesn't destroy the whole planet. I don't know. Yeah. Is there any good answer? I don't know. What do you think, Brandy? Because it was... I. This is, this is the... I, I feel like this is the part of the movie where... Um, and, and this is such a big part of the movie that it kind of... It, I will be very honest. It just kind of lost me at the beginning because this was the logic that we were going to start the movie off with. Now, look, I know we're starting a movie about, like, monster titans, so logic is out <laughs> the window. But the other movies seem to have a very consistent internal logic that that didn't go to the Bond villain plan level. I don't know. What what are your thoughts? Because I'm really interested to hear what you had to say, what you think. Well... Bond villain was not actually my first thought. Uh, my first thought was actually, who are you, Thanos? Why do you get to decide what <laughs> happens to the population? Yes. It's like, why do yes. you, who, who made you Thanos? <laughs> Just like, yeah, she's the only one who has this power. And, you know, when the, when the attack happens on the monarch base and she and her daughter are taken hostage, in air quotes, I was just like, yeah, she planned this. She's working with this guy. She's got to be. There's no reason why they would just keep her alive. Right. Because they shoot it, everybody else down. Right. Yeah. Because the kid could operate the orca. It's not like they needed her to operate it. Mm. So, and they proved that later when she, when Maddie steals the orca. But it's just kind of like, really? We're doing that? Uh, and we're supposed to believe that you're not insane <laughs> okay but so it was, it was a really tough pill to swallow for me i'm sure though that you especially brandy because you and i have talked about this kind of thing before i'm sure you were happy though that they went the route of not making the dad out to be the villain that it yes. was all about blaming him for everything and saying well he was an alcoholic terrible father and he's going to be the bad guy i like that they instead Kyle Chandler can't be the bad guy. No, I mean, it's not possible. But they do what you no. don't expect face. then and make her the villain. Yeah. And you know what? It's fine for yeah. the woman to be the villain. It's yeah. fine. It's called representation. There are good Equal women. There are bad women. There are, yeah. There are crazy <laughs> women, you know? <laughs> there's, there's... There's a, She'd be crazy. I mean, yeah. I mean, and she's she's a, the the person who says, "Now I know you're thinking I'm crazy, but I'm not." Generally, they're crazy. <laughs> you know, that's like saying I'm not a racist, but and then the next thing that happens is something racist mm. out of their mouths. So it's kind of just like I was kind of that when she's making that whole speech. I'm just like, mm. yeah, you're cuckoo lady. <laughs> You're you're scarred for life. And it's it's about people not being able to accept loss and accept that sometimes crap happens and there isn't really anyone or anything at fault. And that's what Mark has the biggest problem with. He blames Godzilla. And he's not thinking about, oh, if all of those mutos had hatched, that would be end of the world. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of those. 
that would have been the end of the world. And then there would have been no Mark and no Maddie and no Emma or anyone else. But, you know, we're not logical when we're grieving. So, yeah. And I think this is the one thing I felt like, you know, Christy, when we were talking about Kong Skull Island, you know, I feel like they did a better job with Samuel L. Jackson's character and like his motivation and why he couldn't get over the hump. Mm -hmm than I feel like they do with these characters because the like we're talking like Hitler type of logic here with like w how many people were willing to murder and rationalize as it being a good thing like I'm sorry but the killing of another human being like this is never okay we're not we're not talking about war you know like uh, you know th th there there's there's no just war theory here right <laughs> like um, it's like what you're doing is, is just insane. And like the fact that you're trying to rationalize that by saying that human beings are the infection on the earth, like it, it just like, it took it a step too far. And again, look, don't write in and say, oh, you don't get monster movies, you know, like. I get monster movies and I love, you know, we've talked about the other two in this series so far. And I think internally the the logic that they came up with for the storylines was very well thought out and made a lot of sense. And I don't think you had to necessarily go to this level. Um, I feel like you can rewrite the story so you don't need humanity to be... Um, to try and make humanity the villain here, you know. Um, we already know what we did. You don't have to spell yeah. it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or it, it could have gone the route of, um, I, I sort of felt from Kong Skull Island, the environmental piece of it, you know, talking about taking care of your planet and that maybe that could be what the problem is, not that the problem is humanity. Because it comes across, like you're saying, Matt, like she's suddenly decided that she's the judge of all of humankind and that, then that gives her the right to decide I've judged them to be bad and I'm going to fix it. And it's like, no, like you said, Brandy, who makes you Thanos? <laughs> who makes you God? Well, and I mean, come on, a snap is so much more humane where they just dust out of existence than like having people brutally murdered by mutos and monsters and titans roaming the earth just like destroying everything in sight right. you know it just i thought i think this is the thing like as much fun as as we'll talk about i like have in the movie with all the monster fights and everything the way that we got to the monster fights didn't feel as it didn't feel as successful uh, and it didn't feel uh it left me with a really bad taste in my mouth because it was just so, again, like a 1970s Bond movie villain type of logic doesn't really help me feel like we're telling a 21st century story where the, especially when the other two movies, again, look, Kong Skull Island is a big dumb movie, but it found a way to be consistent enough in its storytelling and not and not make its human characters like seem so dumb you know like and i think that's kind of the thing here like we're she's supposed to be this like paleobiologist she's you know um all of these things super smart like just to be this dumb to come down to this kind of logic it's like I think the thing that it left me with is that the other movies had done such a good job with servicing their human characters, and this movie just doesn't do that. And that's too bad, because that had been a hallmark of what this series had been able to do so far, is is to make you care as much about the human characters as you did about whether it was Kong or Godzilla. And we, I, 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 I was hoping that that would continue here, and that does not continue with this movie. And I think all that too because there's only one scene with the human characters that makes me a little emotional um and it's actually when maddie reunites with both of her parents at um the baseball stadium 
but I mean, otherwise, uh, really, well, okay. And I'll say the scene with um, Ken Watanabe going to sacrifice himself. But the rest of the time, I agree. I think that you feel like the the emotional connections just aren't really there and that the fights of the uh, monsters are more important to the writers than they are the human characters. Yeah, I feel the same way because... And did anyone else think, is Kyle Chandler going to whisper through this whole movie? Because, like, for the first 10 minutes of the movie, he's speaking very quietly and whispering all of his dialogue, which is barely a hint of voice in it. And I'm like, oh, are you going to do this whole thing? And then when he started talking normally, I'm like, okay, good. We're past that. But, yeah, I wanted to care more about that family, and I just didn't have a foothold. I just, there just wasn't anything there to make me feel like I could relate to them or care about them. And when Sarah Zawa dies, I was ugly crying, y'all. I was. I was just over in my chair sobbing and Dave's patting my hand because he knows. <laughs> this is just like, because he was one of my favorite characters from the original uh, movie in 2014. And so for him, I mean, it makes sense for him to go out that way. And I loved his sacrifice. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, he's the last person that I really liked in this film. And now he's gone. What? It was hard on me. And the the very horrifying and I don't know, it just, it just felt too quick. And like a side note of, uh, Sally Hawkins' character's death, I'm drawing a blank on her name at the moment. But it's just like, oh, so she died and then basically got pecked at by one of Gittera's heads. Well, that's inelegant. I mean, couldn't she just get stomped on and we'd be sad about that? But you have to... I mean, nothing like turn it into monster floss. Yeah, it's just, hmm. ew. That was, she deserved a better death than that, you know? But Just a splat would have been fine. Yeah, a splat. A splat would have been okay. Not the the indignity of being pecked at. Well, it's interesting to me, too, because, you know, originally Gareth Edwards was supposed to come back and do a second Godzilla movie. And uh, they went a different direction once uh, for him. You know, he was involved in row one and they didn't want to wait. Um, And... You know, that meant that Aaron Taylor Johnson wasn't going to come back because his coming back was incumbent on them having Gareth back. And so that meant that family that we already cared about isn't going to come back. And so it is interesting that in this movie, the only characters that we know are, you know, the Sally Hawkins, uh, her Vivian Graham character and, you know, um, Ken Watanabe's character and the Admiral who randomly shows back up, David Trotheran's Admiral um, but really, we don't know anybody else from the other films, obviously, because, of course, the other one took uh, place in the 60s, and they didn't bring any of those characters forward, which I thought might have been smart move. It was actually um, 1973. Oh. oh, 73. Excuse me. Yes. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, for, you know, but you could have brought some of those characters back, aged them up a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and um, that could have been really interesting, but they don't do any of that. And so I, I think... You know, they have the opportunity, like, you, that's the thing, is that those those two movies, they don't have continuous characters, but they made us find a way to care about the characters that they gave us. Um, but this movie, it just, it, they, I think you're, Chrissy, you called out, I think they're just kind of so worried about the monster fights um, that they kind of forget that there are human beings here. And we kind of lose that perspective we had with the other movies where everything is through the human perspective. Right. And this movie is not as much about the human perspective anymore. And and that's where you kind of lose, I think, the specialness of it all. So Yeah, and I think it has a lot to do with people's complaints about 2014 Godzilla going, there's not enough monster fighting. Like, it's not about that but okay. And now they've got a movie full of it and they're probably not happy with that either. <laughs> it's all just monster fighting. It's like, pick a side. But I I agree. There's just not anyone to hold on to, to grab onto and care enough about that it makes us feel like we're not just, you know, detritus littering the planet for them to crush under their paws, hooves, uh, claws, etc. But it is nice, though, that they do kind of make you care more about 
Godzilla himself. Oh, yeah. Well, I cared a lot about him in the first place. (laughs) So did my husband. It's his favorite (laughs) kaiju ever. Uh, Mine too. But yeah, I I thought showing Godzilla's eyes up close in those couple of scenes, um, especially when, you know, the father, um, Kyle Chandler is Dr. Russell, finally is face to face with him. And it's sort of like a, a showdown of like playing chicken. Godzilla's like, what? <laughs> Step up. No? Okay. Talking about that the whole idea, you know, I, it, it's interesting because, you know, I love Kyle Chandler, you know, um, uh, obviously Friday Night Lights. Uh, he had a, pretty uh, amazing two-part episode of Grey's Anatomy way back in the day uh, that was really impactful for that series um, kind of became a, a mythic character there you know he's done so much good stuff and so I was excited to have him in this movie and you know I think he is good in this movie I, I think he does a good job for what he's given he's just not given very much to do um, and that's disappointing. It's too bad that I feel like they aren't able to to really make you kind of feel what you want to feel with him and his family. And I think part of that is that, I hate to say this, but the storyline that they kind of created for them is kind of routine. You know, it, it's very rote. Um, you know, we've seen it before. Um, and and again, you can you can do it well, and you can make people care. Um, I just they they didn't really invest enough to make us truly care in that, and that's not his fault, I don't think, because I think he does a good job with what he's given. Yeah, yeah, there just isn't a lot. And before I forget, um, Ford Brody does get a name check in the movie because there is a naval vessel called the USS Brody. You actually hear them say that name, and I'm like, hey, Brody, I got it. Who is Ford Brody? You know, the first Godzilla movie. He was the main character after his dad died. And Ah, uh, okay. I got his name. <laughs> Aaron Taylor Johnson. That's what you... Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah, but they didn't name it the Aaron Taylor Johnson. They named it the Brody. Why oh, they should have. They should have just named it the Aaron Taylor Johnson. That would have been really funny. That would have been actually. so meta. I would have loved that. <laughs> well, so... What did you think of the character then of Emma Russell? I mean, Vera Farmiga is a good actress. I mean, wh- I mean, one of my favorite movies is Up in the Air, Great and movie. she's excellent in that movie with uh, Clooney. And so I was excited to see her in this film because I I like her um, a lot. And then I I think. It was just disappointing that they kind of went the strange way they did with her storyline because whereas Kyle Chandler's character, I could find some kind of in with her, I could never find an in with because, well, she's crazy pants. Yeah, and I a thought occurred to me as an explanation, but it's not good enough of an explanation, but... They dealt with the grief of losing their son in different ways. And I feel like her way was throwing herself into her work and creating this thing to control the Titans uh, to apparently, you know, destroy the rest of humanity. You want to kill everybody else because your son died? Mom logic. That doesn't work for me. That's not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not the kind of mom logic that that works, because I don't think that most mothers would actually feel that way. And I'm not saying that that was actually the motivation, but that's the only thing that I could come up with that could possibly drive her to this level of cuckoo in order to determine that this was the, the plan that we should get behind for the earth. Yeah, I couldn't forgive or or find any way to justify how she ends up either. Um, But I I did like that she and her husband created the Orca together and that it it was initially at least a sign of goodwill between the two of them trying to build a relationship and consider these creatures possibly all to be benevolent and, you know, try their best not to kill them and to treat them like a a rare species. But 
as we could see, not all of them are interested in that. Yeah. And and seriously, why didn't anybody do some more research on Ghidra? I mean, really, you can't take like DNA samples and figure out that it's not of this earth. Really? Just tunnel through the ice. No, no. Get we a little bit. All of the old research. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, the, the mythology. There's that too. It's like the internet exists in this world. So why did you know so little about Ghidra? I mean, really? Yeah, that was um, that was something that was a little bit odd to me in the film. Like, I didn't have a problem with, you know, it it being an alien, basically. Well, that's having landed that's, on Earth. That's actually part of its history too. So. Yeah, but I didn't really like. It, again, this is the problem. Like, this is one of those movies where all of the human characters do really dumb things even though they're all supposed to be super smart Mm -hmm. and you know you get those movies every once in a while and sometimes it doesn't matter but here again like it be whereas the other movies allowed us to care about our human characters this movie doesn't really allow you that opportunity because you're second guessing their logic every step of the way and if you're doing that with with your human characters in this kind of movie you're pulling your audience out of the film and so yeah it, it's like you you can't do that you have to make them a part of the story and in many ways you know the other movies found a way to make those human characters kind of integral to the story and in and here Yes, obviously we need these human characters to do the things that they do in this movie uh, because, you know, in the end, if they hadn't, you know, Godzilla would have died and the whole Earth would have been plunged into complete and utter death. But, I mean, ruled by Titans, basically. Um, And there would be no more people. But so many of the, the things that the really smart people do... Um, just seem really stupid instead. So, but especially for what they do for a living, these are scientists, military personnel. I mean, why would they not look further? And it and it does seem to disconnect. Where at first, when they encounter Ghidorah, they say we couldn't find anything, and then later come back and say, actually, we found all of this stuff about how he's an alien. And you're going, wait, why didn't you find this before? Yeah, that's you um, that too, Brandy. It's yeah, it's it's like it's a matter of convenience. It's the story being driven by the plot rather than the plot being driven by the story. Oh. And uh it's just it was frustrating because I'm just like, "Really, guys? You have dedicated your lives to this thing. There are generations of families, Dr. Chen, Dr. Ling, that have been in Monarch and really you really don't do anything more first. No more research. No more hunting. No more, oh, I don't know. Again, a DNA sample. But, you know, that's just me. Well, you know, no one could get that close. To yeah, a- well, yeah, because well, it was behind a wall of ice. Gosh, we can't tunnel through that with a really fine drill or anything. Nope, not <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it just it's just it it lacked scientific method and logic and uh when it's when you're talking about scientists that's a big problem right <laughs> well, and that was something that, that you know when we talk about the scientists you know uh, we've got uh Dr. Uh, Mark Russell and his wife Emma you know and we we have these these brilliant minds right um, in the previous movies, I don't feel like they did that with the with the scientists. They seemed, you know, when, what we saw, uh, in, or, you know, with Brian Cranston as the scientist, uh, the main scientist we had in the first movie, um, and then of course uh, uh, Cesara. You know, we we have him, really smart guy, not an idiot, never acts like an idiot. Um, and then in the second movie, we are back in the seventies. So we've kind of regressed the characters where we are scientifically, what they can do scientifically, what they know scientifically, but they're not idiots, you know, for the most part. Um, they don't always approach things the smartest. 
Like, um, but not in the way that we get here where it just seems like, you know, the scientific method is completely out the window, you know, for, for these characters. And so, um, I don't know. We probably go on about that all night. But, <laughs> we could. Um, what did you guys think about Millie Bobby Brown? Everybody loves her from Stranger Things. And, uh, you know, uh, I loved getting her to see her in this movie. It was kind of nice, you know, not to have her nose bleeding every two seconds. Um, and I thought she did a really good job with, you know, playing the, the teenage daughter and everything. I She was great. You know, she was actually one of the more believable characters in the movie, human-wise. Right? <laughs> Yes, I well, I love Millie Bobby Brown. I think she is extremely talented and she's only going to get better as she grows older. And to have that level of being able to channel a character and emote the way that she does, that is a challenge for adults. And she's already got this down as a kid. And so I will watch anything she's in because she can make me believe anything, absolutely anything. And so I really enjoyed her character very much. In fact, she was probably the only one aside from Sarazawa that I really were just rooting for. It's like, I want you to succeed. And she's, she's not an idiot. You know, she is eavesdropping on conversations. She steals the orca because everybody underestimates kids. You know, she's like, uh, you know, around 12, 13, I'm guessing uh, the character. And Nobody thinks, oh, maybe we ought to guard the orca because that kid, she's been looking at me kind of weird. No, they don't even entertain the notion that she could possibly do something like that. And she not only does it, she makes her way to Fenway Park and she uses the orca on her own, all on her own. She even got supplies. She even stole supplies <laughs> and everything, crawled out through the ducts, walks out the front door because nobody there believed she was capable of doing such a thing. Yep. I'm with you exactly as far as liking her in this role and in this movie. I feel like of all the human characters that it kind of felt like this was written for her because she was seen as being so great in Stranger Things in that kind of thing, you know, it, this sci-fi kind of dark storyline um, and being good at playing the unafraid kid who's going to come at it with all she's worth. I think she was brilliant. And uh, I am always up for watching a Millie Bobby Brown TV show or movie. So I, I was fine with it. Yeah, no, she was great. Uh, I, you know, really thought it was interesting that um, we had a crossover with uh, Game of Thrones. It was so cool to have Tywin Lannister on the show. Right? I mean, with the movie. a three-headed dragon. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> and dragon. And pretty much the same character. <laughs> oh, I love Charles Dance so much. <laughs> he's always playing the baddie, but I have seen him as a goodie in, in things, and he's just a delightful human. I love him no matter what he's doing. And if you'll remember, Matt, he was also in a Bond movie. I pointed that out on one of our episodes. Um, I don't remember. You're right. Yes. There was skiing involved. Um, yep. Yep. But yeah. I come. That's awesome. He That's was really one of funny. the few things I liked about Alien 3. <laughs> mm, the less said about Alien 3, the better, honestly. Yeah, but his character was awesome in that. And he loved his character. Such a good villain. Yeah, he's. It's like it's like a walk in the park for him. He can he nails it every time. Love it. Like, yeah, people like that. Like remind me of um like the Anthony Hopkins actors and things like that. You know, like that is his bread and butter. He should just stick to that because he's so good at it. He is so good at it. It's funny because I see him so much in like the Christopher Lee type of role like he's he has that kind of ability to just be that bad guy the way Christopher Lee was but he has a lot of gravitas to him you know and I think that's what makes him so good you can immediately put him in that type of role and you just buy it yeah and he's perfect uh as you know the the bad guy who is just as crazy pants as, you know, Farmiga's character, if not more so, which is, you know, exactly what you want. And so I think they did a great job with casting him. And, you know, a, he kind of becomes one of the most believable characters, too, because, you know, he's just sold out to this idea, you know. 
Um, he's sold out to basically rewriting the world and seeing who survives. You know, for him, this is the Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which monster ends up on top and do we stay alive or not? You know, uh, so talk about the big dance. <laughs> and then he gets yeah. his moment when he comes back at the end and preserved the head. Yeah, which brings about a couple of thoughts in me because number one, Anyone who's seen a King uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, the original, and B seen Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla too, will probably be thinking, "Hmm, this looks awfully familiar." Because at the beginning, for people who haven't seen Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla two, which is one of my favorites, at the very beginning, it's a bunch of people walking into this big room, and there's this big mechanized severed gitter ahead, kind of like this big mechanized gitter ahead that they walked in to see back on Isla del Mara. Is that correct, Isla del Mara? I think it was, and uh, that it was just the way it was laid out and everything. I'm like, I wonder if that was done purposely for people like me that went, oh, they're oh, going to wow, use that to reverse engineer. This. It's definitely going to be re reverse engineered. Does he want it for the DNA? Does he want to see if he can regrow the Gitara from the head? I mean, because the head regrew from the body. Who knows? So it just brings about a bunch of what are you going to do with that? Mm. He's going to regrow it from the one head and then he's going to put a saddle on it and ride it. <laughs> Into battle. Mm. <laughs> you know with fire and blood <laughs> and the thing is it's its body is kind of weird so i think he would have to like have a saddle that attached to one of the necks because the body is so wide to accommodate the necks that you can't really ride the body as a human and it i know i'm bringing logic into this <laughs> yeah we already discussed there's no logic in this movie <laughs> like, so. logically you couldn't really ride get like that you'd have to put a saddle on one of the heads or something but that's why we have this discussion because it's yes. like this because we're all nerds. Yes, it's so much fun. So much fun. Yeah, uh, I meant to ask you it, it because you especially, Brandy, are among us the kaiju movie expert at the moment. Um, would you say you felt like there were a lot of Easter eggs that you found watching this? Because I heard so many, so many, so many. I can't even remember them all. There were so many. But using the original theme music for the well-known characters like Ghidorah, like Godzilla, like Mothra, like Rodan, I recognized the melodies immediately. And I'm just, oh, that's a nice touch, warming my heart. Also, the creature design. It's very, very reminiscent of the original creature designs, but made realistic instead of looking like somebody in a rubber suit. And so, and uh, Gitter's wingspan was just magnificent. And Mothra, oh, her glowing wings. All of it, just every single monster design was in, it was in honor of what came before and yet building upon that and bringing it into this century. And then there was the whole twins, Dr. Chen and Dr. Ling, which some people seem to have misconstrued as that being the same person. I was like, uh, no, because Dr. Chen's on that big flying ship and Dr. Ling's over watching Mothra hatch. They twins, y'all. <laughs> remember the twin priestesses? Oh, yeah. That I could that. hear Mothra's song and would sing to her? Mm. Little reminiscent of that. I, I, that has to be a purposeful reference. It has to be. It can't not be. So well, I'm like, maybe they're going to become priestesses of Mothra later. Right. Well, and yeah, I mean, this does open the door for them possibly doing more of these movies now. Even though there's nothing officially slated, we don't know what's in development at this time. Right. And they seem to want to continue things because of that end teaser. So, but yeah. Well, and the only, yeah, because the only thing we know that's coming is Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah. That's the only thing officially so, out there. And I was and I was kind of wondering if Godzilla versus Kong will turn into the thing where they end up having to fight their own doomsday because they've created an even worse Ghidorah, which is like needs them both, you know? 
to, to join forces. And we already joked about this. I already saw the joke on Twitter, so it's not my own, but they'll, Godzilla and Kong will be fighting each other and then they'll realize that they have the same mom whose name is Mothra. So, you know, like the, the movie is already written for them. It's <laughs> never, so, never not going to be funny. It's so great. Yeah. It could be, it, and so we should just really call it, you know, Godzilla v. Kong, Dawn of Justice. So. Nice. Yeah. Or maybe. Or Dawn of Titans or something, you know. Maybe they take that getter ahead and they, they mechanize a body for it. Maybe they can't grow the body, so they make a mechanized body. And the real head. Organic head. Oh, great. So it turns and into a really bad give uh, to Pacific other. Rim, basically. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay, okay. They're joint forces with Pacific Rim. There, that see we're writing it you know, <laughs> talk about easter eggs well you uh, gotta have big uh, that's basically what mecha godzilla is it's a big jaeger it's got pilots inside it before there were the you know fancy jaegers of today oh yeah exactly and i mean but but mecha godzilla could like fly <laughs> like it had booster rockets and everything oh. and it could just fly where it needed to go so so the other thing yeah, I this um, is getting worse and worse. Anything I wondered about was um, when they call Ghidorah Monster Zero. Um, apparently, that was a callback to one of the previous movies. Oh yes, um, that was the American title of Ghidorah's second movie, uh, Invasion of the Astro Monster. Yes, yes. I See again, so cool. many Easter eggs I couldn't remember. One of the things that I thought was kind of neat was the way we kind of delved into some mythology for the the series like Ooh, you know yes. when they go to the ocean and they find you know where godzilla lives you know the hollow earth theory is true apparently and you know we kind of find this basically atlantis i guess like i figured that's where we are uh -huh. is atlantis so i was really surprised we did not just you know run into aquaman um, really cross the streams here, folks. You know, this movie could only have been better if Jason Momoa's Aquaman had been in it. Yeah, and then you can really make Kong versus Godzilla. Yes! DC movie. Yes, there you go, see? Um, it's all I, We've worked it all out. But I just thought that was really cool of, you know, because they've talked about this whole idea that there was an ancient society that had lived in harmony with the monsters and... You know, the, the the one kind of theme in the movie that kind of was there was the the fact that we are meant to live in in a, a symbiotic relationship with the the earth around us. You know, and how important that is, um, and that is an you know it's it's definitely an environmental message that's true. You know, we're, we're meant to be you know good stewards of the planet and and to be better stewards of the planet than we are being. And I felt like. You know, that's kind of what they were going for thematically in the movie. It's under a lot of, you know, monster crap. Um, but they, they did a good job. And I, I was I was just kind of like when they were talking about all these myths and legends and all that stuff, like I was really responding to that stuff. You know, I thought that was really fun. And I always kind of love when they add that almost like Indiana Jones-esque um, feel to things when you find a hidden civilization and that kind of stuff that mythology stuff is really fun so i kind of felt like you know if you really want to find a way to add to the series that might be a fun way to get to do that um by by rooting it in 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 your own mythology you know that goes all the way back you know that far i, I thought that was really fun I loved that too. I'm glad you brought that up and thinking that it was possibly Atlantis, Matt, because I really responded to sort of the hieroglyphics that they had going on to tell the history or the story. Because um, also as a kid, when I discovered Egyptian history and the pyramids and how they buried people, I was a total nerd about it. And my parents could not get me to stop talking about Tutankhamen. So this kind of thing was like really, really exciting for me. <laughs> yeah, I loved it too. In fact, when you they get there, when you see this statue with a human face, Dave and I turned to each other and went, Atlantis. <laughs> so we just <laughs> accepted that it was Atlantis. And they actually are tying back in to the murals we see at the very, very, very end after the credits of Kong Skull Island. 
because they're talking about how Godzilla isn't the only Titan. And then they're showing, you know, flashes of all of these different murals showing the monsters that we, you know, us Godzilla nerds already recognize, like Rodan and Mothra and Ghidorah, etc. And so it was tying back to that. It, it, it tied itself to Kong Skull Island without being really super obvious about it. So, but when they're seeing those murals, I'm like, yep, nice job tying it together. What you're saying is, if there were titans and Godzilla wasn't the only one, that that means Zeus and Hercules are coming at some point as well. Unfortunately. And they're so petty. I mean, let's just have the monsters kill them, okay? (laughs) Oh, whoops! I don't know. I just, Greek mythology, I'm just like, you all just seem so petty. Aren't you supposed to be better? Very egotistical. (laughs) So full of themselves. So full of themselves. Personal opinion only. Don't at me. But I did you guys like the um, Godzilla recharging? Two yes. And how they did that. Yes, I did. Yeah, you just needed. He needed a nap. Yeah, he needed. He needed to get back in his his bed with his electric blanket of radiation to <laughs> <laughs> the lava to, around. Yeah. To to make him, you know, recover and rejuvenate, but it was it was just not happening fast enough. And I love how they tied in the fact that there was so much radiation that they couldn't take the sub in there because that would explain why a no one's ever found this place, and b if they have, they probably died of radiation exposure before right. they could return. So you know that that actually made perfect sense to me, and I was down with it because. You know, I have a sick fascination with radiation and nuclear disasters and stuff like that, which is why the beginning of Godzilla 2014 is just like. So you're prepared just prepared if there is a problem. Mm-hmm. You're yeah, there's shelter. If there's, a, if there's a problem, there's pretty much nothing we can do, guys. Oh. <laughs> so I'm more like, okay, if it if it happens, I'm just gonna walk into that mushroom cloud. I don't want to be around for the aftermath. I've played Fallout. I don't want to be there for that. Yeah, I thought uh, the thing that I liked about that too, you know, when we we're talking about like this mythology of things, is we we have the idea that you know these titans, you know, they've been around for so long, and you know they're movement across the earth you know actually can be a good thing you know because the the radiation that they have actually helps bring things back to life which was really interesting um and so yeah you you have this whole type of mythology that you're building i thought that was really smart and and the fact that you know sarazawa was the one character that got to go there with Godzilla, you know, and set off the bomb, I thought was really cool. And and it made sense in many ways for him to, to be the one that self-sacrifices um, for Godzilla, knowing that Godzilla is the only one who can save the rest of us. Even though by the point we save the rest of us, well, there is probably about 30% of the planet left uh, after this movie. Um, so so much death. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's just say Thanos was benevolent comparatively. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he actually had a proportion going on. And isn't Sirizawa though the only person that gets to actually touch Godzilla's face? Yes. Which was so sweet. It was. That was that was when I started sobbing. <laughs> you said they're friends. <laughs> <laughs> he even he even says goodbye, old friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know I was going to need tissue for this movie. I wasn't prepared. But then the rest of the movie, you're standing up and going, "Yes!" <laughs> the thought had occurred to me, but out of courtesy to my fellow moviegoers, I did not stand up and shout yes at any point during the movie. Oh. Just uh, that is very kind. I, you know what? I yeah, I would proper movie etiquette. I would prefer that people not do that around me, so I'm not going to do that around them. It's you know just. It's sensible. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we have mentioned this, but the, the, the monster fights, I really think, you know, are where this movie's at. And um, I, you know, this is, this is what this movie does really well, is, is monster fights. Um, and I have to say, they were great. 
you know, I enjoyed all of them. So there wasn't any of them that I wasn't enjoying. There wasn't any of them that I felt like the, you know, CGI work wasn't good. You know, I, I thought for what this movie wanted to do, which was to be a big old monster mash, they did it absolutely perfectly in that sense. Like it was everything you wanted it to be. So they did the monster mash is what you're saying. <laughs> the monster mash. <laughs> I had to. So wait, what was your favorite scene with the monsters? I like to know what everybody's. Oh, I did kind of like when I think the one that I really enjoyed was the first time that he ripped off a head. Like that was just a cool moment where like he, he ripped off a head and of course then it grew back. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that was really a, a good fight. Um, it was interesting too because the one thing that this movie didn't do as well with the monsters though is proportion in the sense that like Godzilla seemed to grow exponentially tall however tall they needed him to be. So like there was that moment where they're over the ocean or whatever and he just seems to be really taller than normal like he's wading in shallow bath water yeah but then he goes and goes swimming in the and, and then like goes under the water it's like there's not enough room for him if he was standing to do it anyway so yeah there were some moments like that um but on a whole it didn't like that it, who cares you know like what this movie did really well was just have a bunch of monsters fight each other and tons and tons. I mean, this is destruction porn all over the place. <laughs> so, I mean, everything's getting destroyed. I mean, Washington, D.C. is literally a swamp. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this that stuff was all great. And I like every time they were fighting, it's like, okay, this is why we're here. Well, and like, I didn't know that Ghidorah's energy was kinetic. Uh, so it was interesting seeing how that played out. But it, my favorite scene was actually, I just really love Ghidorah because it has three heads and can fly, I guess. I don't know, but I think it's the coolest monster. I love when he is on top of a mountain and suddenly just all of three of the heads reach up to the sky, the wings spread out and the lightning comes. I just, it was brilliant. It was so bright in that theater. It was a beautiful moment to me. This is my head cannon for Godzilla in the ocean. The ocean floor is not solid, nor is it all the same depth. He could have been standing on a reef for all we know, and there was a chasm next door. We don't know. There's the whole hollow earth thing. We don't know. So I'll just explain it away that way. That's I don't care. I don't care enough to to think, oh, that really ruins the reality for me. I don't care enough. But I So really oh I just pictured that actually we're Naboo. <laughs> because Naboo has that hollow, you know, where <laughs> all the <laughs> intersecting so I, I'm so surprised we didn't run into Char Jar. <laughs> We're just connecting all the franchises. I'm going to draw this on the whiteboard tomorrow. Oh, please do. Take a picture of it and post it. Please. Please. I want to see that. Um, anyway, uh, it is hard for me to pick a favorite Lisa moment. Lisa getting very scared. <laughs> I, I, okay, there, I have two favorite moments. Well, I have, a, I have, a, it's hard for me to pick favorites, period. But two that really stand out to me is when, Rodan is chasing the the fleet of ships that has tried to evacuate Isla Damara, Delmara. And he does this sort of rotating motion where he's just slapping everything oh, yeah. with his wings yeah. and just taking out everything in his path. I'm like, that is effective and very visually stunning. I really appreciated that. But I think if I had to pick a favorite above all else, it's got to be the final uh, showdown between Godzilla and Ghidorah after he has had a bit of a rest. And, uh, of course, Emma gets to say the epic words, long live the king. And Godzilla is literally glowing red and emits what I can only describe as... A mini radioactive mushroom cloud and just burns the wings of Ghidorah right off. And then he does it again and is burning the heads. And it's just like, oh, dude, you're so beautiful right now. 
I mean, you're always beautiful, but... And then he powers down from Super Saiyan Gojira, and he becomes, you know, just regular Gojira again with his blue atomic breath, and, and which I is like also... atomic breath, too. Oh, I love the atomic breath. It's like my favorite thing and the thing I most wanted to see in 2014, and they gave that to me. So, you know, I never get tired of that. Use it all the time. I'm there for it. But, yeah, those that if I had to pick one favorite monster moment, it would be that one. But, really, I just... There were so many. I loved them all, really. I just loved monsters yeah it absolutely fulfilled the monster fighting above all else in this movie and i think that was at least from the previews what i was going in for anyway well it's uh it's pretty much in a way it reminded me of godzilla kill all monsters that's another of one of the japanese movies go look it up you'll understand but yeah it's just um just bring out every monster just bring them all out and there were so many we didn't even see because there were 17 we didn't see 17 we didn't see all 17 of them, so what else is there? I want to know. Let's see it. <laughs> Bring it up in the next movie after Kong versus Godzilla. want to see him. I just, uh, that moment where Godzilla's standing there and all the monsters come to him, and I was like, it's the circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> and it moves us all. And again, con- just connecting all of the fandoms yeah, in one movie. It's exactly, yeah. So, um, it's. <laughs> Just like that. Uh, Christy just put up a little dragon, you know, holding it up a like a dragon Simba. plushie. Yeah. There you go. So, you know, we talked a lot about the movie and what we thought of, you know, all the different elements there, you know, kind of coming down to it. What would you guys rate Godzilla King of the Monsters? Is this King of the Monster movies or more like the squire of the monster movies the runner-up would you say <laughs> yes <clears throat> brandy should go first <laughs> i'm sorry i'm very giggly tonight i just love monsters uh so oh gosh how am i gonna rate this i i i love all of the monster stuff of course the human drama just wasn't good enough. I mean, it was it was there, but it didn't it didn't it didn't connect with me. And I'm a really emotional person. It is not hard to connect with me. And there was so much that just did not connect with me that I'm I'm just like, why am I supposed to care about this crazy lady? Um, <laughs> so there was a lot that I just felt like, yeah. And at the same time, why did you waste Bradley Whitford in that role? Come on. It's Bradley freaking Whitford. He could have been like way bigger of a character, (laughs) you know, to put him in the in the middle ditch part, put him in there. But anyway, but that's just me and Bradley Whitford. We have a long, happy relationship of mutual admiration. Okay. Just admiration on my side. So I would say that I would rate this one, um, seven out of 10, uh, cities of atlantis <laughs> so okay. many choices to choose from there oh yeah after we said all the easter eggs so many easter eggs <laughs> i should have just said easter eggs seven out of ten easter eggs <laughs> either way take your pick <laughs> uh, i i think i'm on the same lines as you were um for a lot of those same things brandy um i really i felt like the cast was very strong but like we were all discussing that the actual writing of the characters just didn't come out as well as we hoped. Um, I think Millie Bobby Brown and um, Kyle Chandler were really great with what, what they were given. Um, But, you know, we just still wanted more of an emotional connection to make you care about losing any of them. Um, I think that the strongest thing for sure in this movie was the monsters. Um, and that that's kind of what you feel like is the point going in. So you're not as concerned about the human element, but it was a thing in all the prior ones we've seen in this universe. So it does kind of have more weight than they want it to. Um, so I, I think too, I come out at a, a seven out of 10. Um, I'm going to say pairs of glowing Mothra wings. <sighs> Because they were so pretty. Mm. So perfect. So beautiful. Um, nice. And I, I will add the other thing I loved was the sound effect of Godzilla powering up. Right? 
I love it. I need that to be my like startup for my phone or, <laughs> right? you know, or my computer. That'd be great. If anyone can find that sound isolated, please tell us <laughs> because we will yeah, all co opt awesome. that. Yes. For me, um, you know, we, we've already kind of talked through, I think, all the, the issues and everything I have with the movie. I think because of that, uh, I had fun in the movie. But I, I think what happened is exactly what you said, Christy. The previous movies made us expect more than just monsters fighting each other. And so, therefore, they had set the bar maybe too high for themselves and therefore, they didn't reach the bar that they had already created in that. And so, I'd say this is probably a good six out of ten getter aheads. You know, um, it does. It just doesn't quite have the punch that you want it to, and that's that's too bad. So, you know, hopefully, with you know. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong, or however they end up doing all of that, you know, that will be. A better film. Um, I'm honestly just so interested to see uh, what happens in, in that movie because, you know, like we said, uh, it seems like a good two-thirds of the world population is gone. Um, so there's a lot to recover from. Uh, so it will be interesting to see where they do go. But love the fact that we've gotten to have just, uh, well, a whale of a good time talking about these films. And uh, we've got some great stuff coming up for you the rest of the summer here with the 602 Club. So stay tuned in, stay uh, subscribed. You're going to want to hear all the good stuff we've got coming for you. Thank you so much to our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, Daniel Noah for supporting the network and the 602 Club. They make sure that this show and everything else that we're doing here on the network keeps coming to each and every week. We can't do it without you. It's a massive network. There's no way we as the hosts can afford to keep this coming to you without your help. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm. That is a place where you can support the network each and every month to make sure that all the quality content keeps coming to you, that it'll never stop. At patreon.com, you can go and support us every month. There are different contribution levels you can give at uh, where you can get some extra perks. But in the end, just remember, honestly, every little bit helps. So again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Brandy, um, it has been so much fun to have you back to talk about more monsters but, you know, maybe people would like to catch up with you and see what's going on uh, beyond monsters. Where can they find you? Well, you can always find me on Twitter at Brandywine12. Brandy is with an I. The 12 is a number. Uh, I'm always poking around in the Babel Conference. And uh, I'm not really doing a lot of... What's the word I'm looking for here? Not frequent, not constant... Uh, ongoing podcast right at the moment, um, popping up on a lot of other things. Like you can hear me on the Twilight Zone podcast covering some episodes of the new Twilight Zone, which all of those are out now. And that, that particular coverage is now, you know, in the past, but when the next season starts, I'm sure I'll be back. And, uh, I do a podcast with my fantastic husband, Dave, who lets me drag him to all of these monster movies and uh and pats my hand when i ugly cry <laughs> we do a podcast called the dark corner podcast which you can find at the darkcornerpodcast.com and uh yeah that's uh that's pretty much it i did like that you said a whale of a good time because the orca <laughs> orca is a whale killer whale sorry uh, and so you can find me, Christy, uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Bespin Bell, B-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. uh, in addition to the 602 Club every week, um, I do a podcast with my good friend Teresa Delgado every other week called Sabers and Spells, uh, which is about everything um, geek and pop culture, Star Wars, Harry Potter. Um, hopefully soon we'll be doing a Stranger Things rewatch leading up to season three. Um anything we could think of every other week. Um, and then also I'm doing a monthly segment on my sh friend show, The Star Wars Report, called Fashion in Five. And uh, then also um, on occasion, I am lurking in the Babel Conference as well if you want to have a discussion with me there. 
And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd under the name MattRushing02. Um, of course, here on the network, also doing The Orb with Chris Jones as we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. You can find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is Owl Post with Dre Kaufman as we talk through the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. I do Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills where we talk about a Star Wars topic each and every week. Honestly, it's just two guys thinking of something that they've been thinking about in Star Wars and talking about it. It's a lot of fun. So if you like the Star Wars universe, it's really the show for you. Uh, and then last but not least, you could find me doing Cinema Stories, and I do that with my good friend Courtney. And that is where we talk about films, but through the ones of faith. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Ghidorah. <laughs>